hold. That is the tiniest motorcycle to be making so much noise. Oh my god. I think that it's a compensation. Probably. It's like, this is a tiny machine. Let's make it as loud as possible. Are you a good witch? Or a bad bitch, bad bitch, bad bitch. I've been a rebel all my life. We will not remain hidden figures. We have names. Oh, if this naughty to ruse your lips, take your shoulders, take your hips, and let a lady confess I want to be there. I didn't kid you, did I? Well, now you know. What's up, Hannah? Uh, not much, Deanna. How you doing? I'm doing pretty great. <laughs> How are you? We're having a really great Sunday. Yeah. This is a good recording day. Yeah, I think we're doing all right. Like, I'm... I'm spirits are up. Spirits are high. Energy is high. I know, considering, Positivity like... Positivity is, 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 like, emanating throughout this room. If only you could see us undulating at each other undulating our we're undulating our energy across the room that sounds really dirty thank you mm-hmm. uh by the way you're listening to good witches bad bitches this is a weekly podcast <laughs> that has a very feminist slant and we talk about women and female inclined folks and uh the things that they have done uh every week we bring to you a new woman um that we want to tell you about who we think um is important for you to know yeah um or that we just think is cool and we're discovering them as you're discovering them and it's just really fun and exciting and there's a little bit of history a little bit of a reverence and a whole lot of fucks <laughs> by that i mean curse words yes let's <laughs> and clarify fucks that given because we give a lot of fucks about these ladies and would defend them with our entire honor it's true i don't give a lot of fucks in my daily life but i give a lot but of I fucks would die about for this Jamil. <laughs> yes you would yes you would I feel like the two women that we both did at that time, because I did Ida Lupino right after you did, they were very uh, big for us. Like, Ida was kind of kind of a big deal for but me. there was like a shift in like our personal tectonic plates. Yeah. Which all of these women do that to a degree, but it's like those women at that specific moment in our lives, we needed to talk about them and learn about them. Yeah. And that's why they feel so near and dear to our hearts now. Agreed. Yeah. And I think I will end up talking a little bit more about like women directors and that sort of thing because the Oscars are coming up. Not yes. I think they're I think they're on the 24th of February. So whatever some of our next episodes will be, we'll get a chance to Mm -hmm. go into that. But like there are no female directors nominated for Oscars this year. You know what's funny is that they they're they're applauding right now. And I get it. It's a good step. But the highest percentage of female nominees ever is this year. But it's still like 24 percent of the nominees so we'll talk about that which is crazy yeah i think we should definitely spend some time on that at but also there were a lot of of female directors who put out some really great works in this past year well that's exactly yeah what the fuck that's exactly why i want to talk about it because there are almost more movies by female directors coming out this year or out this year that Mm -hmm. are worth talking about that got no love so we'll do that Mm -hmm. um but so I I am I want to pivot a little bit because please do all the pivoting you need. Thank you. We are six days into Black History Month. Fuck yes. Um, and so I was looking for I was looking for something to to read to you as part of our intro, and I stumbled on this article from Atlas Obscura, which felt oh very my appropriate. God, I love Atlas. I, Obscura. I love them so much. And the Plug. the headline of this is the mansion of America's first black female self made millionaire gets a new life as a think tank for female entrepreneurs of color. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, Tell me about it. And you will recognize this name from our very first episode. Is it CJ? It's Madam CJ Walker. Mm-hmm. So in 1916, America's first black female self-made millionaire, Madame CJ Walker, had a house built. And by house, we mean mansion, one befitting her fortune and status, cleverly named Villa Luaro, an amalgamation of her daughter's first, middle, and last names. Oh, my God. Um, That's the, so cute. The daughter's name is... Alalia Walker Robinson. 
So Walker was a trailblazing entrepreneur and her beauty product company was at one time the largest black owned business in the United States and it still is around. Um, thank you to the Twitter the Twitter user who let me know that that was the case. Um, a couple weeks ago, her Italiante villa in Irvington-on-Hudson, New York, is now in its 100th year and is being reimagined as a learning and leadership institute for female entrepreneurs of color. I also love that it's in New York. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's like two hours upstate. So the 28,000, oh my God, 28,000 square feet. That's huge. Wait, 28,000? 28,000. Holy shit. Wow. So the 28,000 square foot estate designed by Vertner Woodson Tandy, the first licensed black architect in New York State, uh-huh. was <laughs> recently purchased by the New Voices Foundation for an undisclosed amount. The foundation is the nonprofit branch of the New Voices Fund, a $100 million investment fund dedicated to entrepreneurs walking in Walker's footsteps walking in walker's footsteps. oh actually it says following and i i said walking yours is much more poetic thank you uh both the fund and the foundation were created Shut by <laughs> richelieu denis mm, i don't know a liberian entrepreneur and investor who will help oversee the transition of villa luaro from a riverfront estate to a creative think tank it's notable that dennis's or denis family uh, founded Shea Moisture Hair Products, a business like Walker's that was built on a family recipe from African American beauty needs. By the way, that brand is fucking awesome. I love them. They make the best lotion. We have it in our bathroom right now. Plug. Shea Moisture. Oh, yeah. And it smells amazing. Oh, God. It smells so good. Okay. Vroom, vroom, vroom. That's a Dodge something. Challenger? <laughs> Um, though Walker only lived at Villa Luaro for one year, from May 1918 until her death in May 1919, over time the home served as a cultural and intellectual meeting place for leaders of the Harlem Renaissance, such as Zora Neale Hurston and W.E.B. Dubois. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, the mansion, quote, represents the fulfillment of Madame Walker's goal to uh, inspire future generations of African Americans and women. Uh, says Alelia Bundle's great-great-granddaughter of Walker. Oh. Took her name. Um, took her daughter's name. Perhaps unsurprisingly, Walker was the first person of color to own property in Irvington. <laughs> uh, Villa Luaro was situated along the aptly named Millionaire's Row, so the beauty pioneer counted the Rockefellers and Astors as neighbors. A November 4th, 1917 New York Times article reports that Walker's move into the neighborhood was met with total disbelief. The article details Just, the the what? inside of Villa Luaro too. Um, so obviously all of her white neighbors were reading about the inside of her mansion in this article. And it said, it is 113 feet long, 60 wide, and stands in the center of a four and a quarter acre plot. It is fireproof of structural tile with an outer covering of cream-colored stucco and has 34 rooms. What? In the basement are a gymnasium, <gasps> baths and showers, kitchen and pantry, servant's dining room, power room for an organ, and storage vaults for valuables. Can I live there? I mean, I know I can't because that's the point of this article, but <laughs> can I visit? I Probably now. Just say hello, make a donation, walk around. I don't know. We should look into it. Um, all this belonged to a self-taught woman from the sharecropping South who founded a company with a 3,000-person sales force and up to $250,000 in annual sales, which equals several million in today's dollars. Jesus. Walker also had a reputation for being an activist and major philanthropist through the black community for we the black really community. really should do her on this podcast. That's the plan at some point. <laughs> I Like, absolutely, she's on my list. <laughs> Um, throughout her life, she bequeathed nearly $100,000 to orphanages, schools, and other cultural institutions. Are you kidding me? And in 1919, just before her death, she gifted the equivalent of $65,000 to the NAACP's anti-lynching fund, their largest Ooh. gift 
ever at the time. $65,000? Yeah. Wow. Um, Villa Luara was named a national landmark in 1967. Thank God. Uh, the New Voices Foundation is working with preservationists to ensure that the mansion is structure- structurally sound and with historians to give context to the time and place in which the villa was built and furnished. Fuck. Um, it will reopen this year after a renovation. So, Let's go. Yeah. Let's go. I would love to. I would love to find out if we can take a little field trip up there. That would be amazing. What's up, witches? We have some really exciting news. We have just launched our Patreon. Yay! Woohoo! Something we've been trying to do for a while. Yes. And we've finally gotten there. Yes. And if you are not familiar with Patreon, it is basically a platform that helps content creators like us, like us make a little bit of money to help with costs associated with creating that content. Right. You can find us at patreon.com slash GWBB podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll have the link in our show notes. Yes. At the moment, we have a very basic tiered system. You get to be a patron of this show and you can opt in. So whether or not you want to be a good witch patron or a bad bitch patron, it's the same if you do a minimum donation of $3 or more per month. And uh, the first 10 people of each will get a free pin corresponding corresponding to whichever option you chose hell yeah and you'll get a shout out on the podcast as a good witch or a bad bitch whichever one you choose to be which is pretty fucking rad yeah we're pretty excited about that and we really appreciate all of the support that you guys have given us thus far and that you'll continue to give us hopefully fingers crossed and we look forward to seeing you in our patriosphere hell yeah matriosphere on patreon <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's go with it. Cool. Cool. Thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. We love you. All so, right. uh, Who yeah. Who are we talking about this week? All right. So, all right. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we have the window open, so there might be some noises if you in the hear background. ambient sound, it's just part of the experience. It's just part of the experience. You're here with us in the room, in the moment. We're in talking moment. to you. It's great. And you're probably talking to us. We can't hear you, but thank you. So really, you love it like this, and we'll just continue to do it this way forever. All right. Let me tell you. I'm going to spit out my drink. I'm going to tell you this week about Bessie Coleman. I know that name. Yes, you do. <laughs> That's... I know her. I mean, do you know anything about her or? Probably. Okay. Um, all right. Well, this might give you a clue. So some of my sources this week are womenshistory.org, um, Wikipedia, obviously, which had a lot of good little details. Um, by the way, donate to Wikipedia. Um, who else? Uh, da, da, da. By Fuck. The way, donate Did I to miss? Wikipedia. Womenshistory.org. I mean, I guess I'm, I didn't put my other source in here. Shit. I think it was blackpast.org. Um, and then nationalaviation.org. Oh, yeah, I know who she is. Bum, bum, bum. All right. Sorry, that was so loud. <laughs> here we go. I'm really excited. Bessie Coleman was the first civilian licensed African-American pilot in the world. She was on my list, that's why. Haha. And she fought damn hard to earn herself that title. Mm-hmm. Known for mm-hmm. performing flying tricks, Coleman's nicknames were Brave Bessie, Queen Bess, and the only race aviatrix in the world. <gasps> I just love that word aviatrix. So good. I, I do, love it. It reminds me of Drowsy Chaperone, too. All right. I'll I'll play it for you later. Perfect. Born in Atlanta, Texas on January 26th, 1892. We picked ladies who were born within two years of each other in the, for the uh-huh. last two episodes. Yeah, because they were around at the same time, alive at the same time. Yours was 1890? Yeah. Yeah. So Bessie Coleman had 12 brothers and sisters. Holy shit. <laughs> oh, God. I think she was 10. She was number 10. Um, it's like my grandpa who was one of 10. He was seven of 10. Oh, God. That's so many. Too many. Her poor mother. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. Her her mother, Susan Coleman, was an African-American maid, and her father, George Coleman, was a Native American sharecropper. 
Um, no kidding. Yeah. And I, I pulled up a definition of sharecropping just because it's it's a result of slavery. It's a thing that came after slavery was abolished, but it's Which not, not great. Not long before 1892. <laughs> right. So um, according to PBS... Because they had a better, you know, thingy. So according to PBS, sharecropping is a system where the landlord or planter allows a tenant to use the land in exchange for a share of the crop. Yes. This encouraged tenants to work to produce the biggest harvest that they could and ensure that they would remain tied to the land and ultimately oh, uh, and unlikely to leave for other opportunities. So it was like, um, okay, slavery's gone, but... We're going to make it so that you can't really leave anyway. It just looks like you own a piece of it now. And but you're, you're a tenant. But you're a tenant instead of being owned by us. Right. It's really not great. Um, so so her family her family was um, poor, I think, is the, is the appropriate <laughs> way to And with 12 talk kids, about it. no shit. Yeah. <laughs> so she was used to... Although if you have a piece of land to work... Having a bunch of kids is probably helpful. I think that's probably why they had that many kids. That's why a lot of farmers way, way, way back did. Yeah. Um, So I'm not entirely sure what the details surrounding this are. It was hard to find any information about this. But from what I could gather, her her dad moved back to Oklahoma, Mm -hmm. um, where he was originally from, in 1901. The rest of the family stayed in Texas. Um, and Bessie grew up walking four miles each way to school every fucking day. Four miles is too many to be walking each way. So she walked, she walked eight miles a day. Eight miles a day. Two, one, one way, four miles to school, four miles back. And the school was a, a little shack. They barely had any resources for these kids. So despite the fact that the school didn't have much in the way of resources, books or pencils or any of the shit, she became enamored with math. Like she was a good student. She did really well. She loved learning and she loved numbers and she You'd loved, have you know, to love learning to walk four miles to go to school every yeah. day. Yeah. Yes. Especially because that she takes was like two hours. It takes a long fucking time, especially when you're a tiny child. And you are also in your in your other time. You're helping your um, mother pick cotton and wash laundry to earn money to keep wow. everybody stable. And she at so from that she was share, um, saving some money, not a, not a ton, but a little bit. She was saving a little bit of money with the work that she was doing with her mom, like giving most to her mom and then saving a little for herself. Yep, got it. But by the time she was 18, she had saved enough of her own money to attend what was once called the Colored Agricultural and Normal University, (laughs) (laughs) which is now Langston University in Langston, Oklahoma. Nice. Um, But what sucks is that she only had enough money saved to pay for one semester of college, and so she ultimately had to drop out. Because she couldn't keep paying, and that just breaks my heart. That was at a time when college was much more affordable than it is today. Yep. But. Sorry, that was just. More for white people who were encouraged oh, to go, for you know? for sure. For sure. I'm sure the college relished the opportunity to be like, oh, you can't pay. I'm so sorry. There's no other options we have for you. Yeah. Bye-bye. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I'm not sure what happened in between 18 and 23, but at the age of 23, she went to live with her brothers in Chicago. So they had moved out by that point, her older brothers, obviously. Yeah. And they were living in Chicago. She went to the Burnham School of Beauty Culture in 1915 and became a manicurist in a local barbershop. That's awesome. Yeah. And so while she was doing that, her brothers went off to war in World War One. Mm-hmm. And uh, when they came home, when soldiers were coming home, it was the wild tales of flying exploits that she heard while working in the barbershop from returning soldiers that first interested her in aviation. And I know it was her brother who really, truly inspired her because he teased her that French women were superior to American women because they could fly. He I was, didn't know that. He was referring to the female aviators who flew in the war. I didn't know that. So she was immediately like, fuck that. Like, fuck you for saying that because there's no First way. First of all, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. And I can't even do it. Yeah. 
And she was like, I'm going to make that not the case anymore. I'm not allowed, <laughs> but let's fucking change that. And so, uh, you know, yeah. So the truth was that very few uh, American women, period, of any race, had pilot's licenses in 1918. I mean... Yeah. Still. Yeah. And and those who did were white and wealthy, of course. What? Oh, uh, And every... Color me shocked. Yeah. <laughs> every flying school that she approached, whether taught by black instructors or white, refused to admit her because she was both black and a woman. No fucking way. Yeah. So, um, I, I'm not sure how she met him, but I, I think she must have met this guy while working as a manicurist at the barbershop, you know, kind of one of those, like... Chance encounters. Chance encounters, because it changed her life. Um, She met Robert Abbott, who was a black lawyer and the owner of the publication, The Chicago Defender. He was one of the first African-American millionaires. And he met met Coleman, he met Bessie, I I think in the barbershop, I assume, and they became fast friends. And he was like, hey, you should not let this stop you. You know where they give flying lessons? In France. Why don't you, why don't you make that happen? And so she started taking um, French les- lessons. She started taking French classes at night because her application to flight schools in France obviously needed to be in French. And so she learned French. What? Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm just like, I'm being really extra in this episode, but this is amazing. It's so cool. (laughs) And I think, I think Robert Abbott helped bankroll a lot of this because he believed in her and felt like it was a really worthy endeavor. And so he was like, yeah, I'll pay for your French lessons. Supporting black women at all costs should be everybody. He was amazing. Yeah. (laughs) And he kept doing it too, which I just, I love so much. Um, So... Uh, da, 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 da. So she set off for Paris from New York in 1920. It took her seven months to learn how to fly. She was the only non-white student in her class. Of course. She was taught in a 27-foot biplane that was known to fail frequently and sometimes in the air. <laughs> Which is Why just... was that the teaching plane then? <laughs> because it was 1920. And, like, that's just what you had as a plane. Like, yeah, sometimes it's going to maybe crash. Yeah, we don't have planes yet, so this is what you get. And uh, during her training, oh, this is awful, she witnessed a fellow student die in a plane crash. I mean, with those planes, it sounds like it was a hazard. Yeah, and apparently these these planes, so I didn't put this in my notes, but these planes were, like, basically just, like, a stick for shifting and, and like, steering and just, like, totally rudimentary wow. i mean amazingly rudimentary it's I, it's kind of incredible they were able to fly in my opinion um, but and the accident Flight didn't deter her uh, i don't know it's like wild <laughs> it really i think is. about that every time i'm on a plane like this is magic like i know it's not but it totally fucking is it is <laughs> humans are not supposed to do this and yet we say fuck you we're doing it anyway i know we push a giant metal thing down a runway at 150 miles an hour or whatever and it flies now okay sure that's a thing whatever it's terrifying so the accident obviously didn't deter her in 1921 um seven months later the i'm sorry deanna resident french speaker the federation aeronautique internationale that's great. Thank you. Awarded her an international pilot's license. So. I don't even think you can get an international pilot's license anymore. I don't think so. No. But now <laughs> you, or at this time, at Bessie's time, you can. And determined to polish her skills, she spent the next two months taking lessons from a French ace pilot in Paris. Um, just to kind of like give herself an edge. And in September of 1921, she sailed back to New York. She became an immediate media sensation when she got back to the United States because scores of reporters turned out to greet her when she got yeah, back. Yeah, because she's, like, <laughs> the first of her kind. Yeah. Like, uh, the first black female pilot. Black pilot. And Period. American. Yeah. I think in USA. the world. USA. In the world. USA. In the whole world. That's amazing. To have a, an, a pilot's license anyway. 
Um, so the Air Service News noted that Coleman had become, quote, a full-fledged aviatrix, the first of her race. Um, she was invited as a guest of honor to attend the all-black musical Shuffle Along. Yeah. They the- just did a, 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 a revival of that a couple years ago. Audrey McDonald was in it, and she was very pregnant. All right. I thought you would know it. Um, <laughs> the entire audience, including the several hundred white people in the orchestra seats, rose to give the first African-American female pilot a standing ovation. I know. I want to be really happy about that. And at the same time, it was America who wouldn't give her one. It was yeah, America who wouldn't the fucking... Audience. Ugh, I know. I'm just, like, mad. <laughs> I just get so mad. Righteous anger! <laughs> I wrote, this feels super fucking fake to me. <laughs> but you're right. Like, the, the creators and creatives are always so much more like, yes, fucking do it. Like, we're here for you. And it's well, also the man it's, who also won't it's do a it. Sense of, well, I mean, it's even a sense of pride because yeah. maybe they personally were like, well, if I were in charge, I never would have accepted a black woman student or blah, blah, blah. But oh, wow, how impressive. And <laughs> yeah. she's, wow. Like, there's a, maybe yeah. a, a, a hair of condescension, but also a shitload of pride and also just being overall impressed because she had to work so fucking hard. She had to leave the goddamn continent. She had to leave the country (laughs) and learn a new language in order to acquire the skill that she wanted. Yeah, I know. It's so insane. So uh, with the age of commercial flight, still a decade or more, Oh, yeah. In the future. Oh, yeah. Um, she quickly realized that in order to make a living as a civilian aviator, she would have to become a, quote, barnstorming. Like a showman? Stunt flyer, which, yeah. yeah, was a form of entertainment in which stunt pilots performed tricks, either individually or in groups called flying circuses. So um, she had to find paying audiences to perform for. But to succeed in that highly competitive arena, she would need advanced lessons and a more extensive repertoire. So um, she, this is, uh, she still could not find anyone to teach her. What? In Chicago. She oh. went back to Chicago in America, period. She was like, can someone help teach me? Teach me how to do tricks? Teach me how to do tricks. And they were like, no, <laughs> we're still not going to do Which that Which is for both you. a combination of massive sexism and racism. Horrible, both of those the things. The intersectionality of that <sighs> bullshit. Ugh, I know. So in February of Black 1922. in America are so resilient. It's ridiculous. Okay. I know. And this is partially. No, I'm not going to get into this. Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. In February of 1922, she went back to Europe. So she spent the next two months in France, completing an advanced course in aviation. Then she went to the... She went back to France? She went back to France. Nobody would teach... Nobody would teach her here. Okay. I know. It's... uh, it's, Oh, God. So then she she spent two months in France, and then she went to the Netherlands to meet Anthony Foker, one of the world's most distinguished aircraft designers. Okay. She also traveled to Germany where she visited the Fokker Corporation and received additional training from one of the company's chief pilots. And then she went back to the United States to launch her career in exhibition flying. That's so rad. I know. It's it's fucking amazing. Over the next five years, Coleman performed at countless air shows. And the first took place on September 3rd, 1922 in Garden City, Long Island. Been there. Yeah. Done that. Um, The Chicago Defender, which you might remember is Robert Abbott's publication. He was the millionaire helping her out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, They publicized the event saying the, quote, wonderful little woman, Bessie Coleman. Was she short? I don't know. I think that's just a thing he said at the time. (laughs) Um, she would do, quote, heart-thrilling stunts, and they publicized her as, quote, the world's greatest woman flyer. So That's probably true. I think it probably is. According to a reporter from Kansas, as many as 3,000 people, including local dignitaries, attended the event. Local dignitaries in Kansas? Really know. What does that mean? In Long Island. Oh, okay. But I really still don't know. But it was the newspaper in Kansas that talked about it. Yes. Got it. Okay. Um, over the following years, she used her position of prominence to encourage other black people to learn how to fly. Good. She also made a point of refusing to perform at locations that would not admit or would segregate black and white. Yep. Yep. 
So she was like, if you're not going to admit black people or you're going to segregate them. It's Hazel Scott. Dude. I'm not going to. Exactly. Hazel Scott did that. She was like, I'm not going to perform for segregated audiences. Mm-hmm. If you're going to come see a black performer, it's the same shit. If you're going to come see a black person perform, but you don't want to be around other black people, fuck you. There are other twinges of Hazel Scott in her story that I think you'll yes! appreciate. Yeah. <laughs> um, so six weeks after she returned to Chicago to deliver a stunning demonstration of daredevil maneuvers, including figure eights, loops, and near-ground dips Jesus. to a large and enthusiastic crowd at That's the checkerboard. Terrifying. Uh checkerboard aerodrome in Illinois. I don't I don't think it's still there, but that's where she was. Uh and as a professional aviatrix, I just love that word so much. It's great. Coleman would often be criticized by the press for her quote opportunistic nature and the flamboyant style she brought to her exhibition flying. Like, I'm sorry, what does that mean? I think it means we really wished you wouldn't have learned how to fly, and so now we have to fucking figure out how to opportunistic negate. nature. Yeah, I don't know. She was showy. She was showy. She was a performer. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck do you want? Someone boring? No one would come to see that. She they, would never make money. They don't want to come to see an African American flying a plane. They don't want an African American person flying planes, yeah. let alone a woman. Um, however, she also quickly gained a reputation as a skilled and daring pilot who would stop at nothing to complete a difficult stunt. In Los Angeles, she broke a leg and three fucking ribs when her plane stalled and crashed in 1923. Wait, repeat that whole sentence? In Los Angeles, she broke a leg and three ribs when her plane stalled and crashed in 1923. Plane stalls are wild. More than causing broken bones, it set her dream of owning her own plane back. She didn't own any plane? She did not own her own plane at this point. She needed to buy one. She had to earn up money to she buy her own plane. She would show places that there were planes and she would hope borrow. that they were well maintained? Yeah. She would borrow planes. Um, and it was another two years before she finally succeeded in lining up a series of lectures and exhibition flights in Texas, which would help her create you know put a down payment on her own plane wow and it was in texas in at love field which i don't know where that is but that's where she finally made the very first payment the down payment on a plane for herself um but she still had more payments to go yeah so it was these lectures and exhibitions that got her earning enough money to put that down payment on it but she still had her shows no, the exhibitions are her shows. I got you. Yeah, yeah. In Orlando, on a speaking tour, she met the Reverend Hezekiah Hill and his wife, Viola, who were community... Hezekiah is like a really Hezekiah. intense Hezekiah. That's yeah. like biblical. That's biblical Biblical AF, yeah. Um, hey! <laughs> they were community activists who treated her as a daughter, and they persuaded her to stay in Orlando for a while. She actually ended up opening a beauty shop in Orlando to earn extra money. Because she was a manicurist. Because <laughs> she was a manicurist. She still had that skill. and That's so crazy. But it also makes me so sad that she had to do that. Yeah. She had to open up a fucking shop to do other people's nails in order to earn money to buy her own plane. Ugh. Okay. <laughs> she did it. It's fine. It she happened. Did it. it worked out. Um, and then continuing to use borrowed planes, she did her exhibition flying and occasional parachute jumping, apparently. All right. Um, okay. So this is the part I think that you are oh, really going to like. I think you're going to like it. Okay. Hazel Scott uh, hearkenings. Through her media contacts, she was offered a role in a feature-length film titled Shadow and Sunshine. Yes, to be financed by the African-American Seminole Film Producing Company. That is a mouthful. She gladly accepted, hoping the publicity would help to advance her career, obviously, and provide her with some of the money she needed to establish her own flying school and buy her own plane. Uh, Yeah, and the flying school at this point had become her ultimate dream. She was like, okay, I want to make this happen for other people because it was so fucking hard for me I want to make I'm it a reality. To teach people who weren't willing to teach me. Yes, exactly. 
So that was like, that was her biggest dream. And um, unfortunately, upon learning that the first scene in the movie required her to appear in tattered clothes with a walking stick and a pack on her back, she dropped out because fuck that shit. That's what I wrote. Um, That is very Hazel Scott. Yes! Except for Hazel Scott was already relatively famous and could be like, we're going to go on strike until you say otherwise. Right. Yeah. She had more leverage. And Bessie was just like, I want people to see me as competent because I am. Obviously. Brilliant because I am. And if you're not going to if you're not going to help me portray that, then there is just no reason for me to do it. It doesn't advance my career in any way. And it doesn't help African-American people. And it doesn't help open my school. It doesn't help people be inspired by me. Right. So she was like, yeah, that sucks, and I'm not going to do it. Good for her. Um, yeah. She still made her, the final payment on her plane in Dallas. Thank God. And she arranged to have it flown by her mechanic to Jacksonville, where she was at the time. <sighs> Uh-oh. On the evening of April 30th, 1926... She and her mechanic took the plane up for a test flight. Once aloft, the plane, which had been poorly maintained while it was waiting for payment, malfunctioned, and the mechanic lost control. Bessie fell from the open cockpit several thousand feet to her death. Fuck, man! After she spent all this time... Saving money for her own plane? It was her own plane that killed her? Damn it. (laughs) Now we're both crying. This is stupid. Why do we do this podcast? Ugh. Damn it. I knew it was going to get me. It's her fucking mechanic's fault. If the plane was poorly maintained, it's the mechanic's fault to... It's the mechanic's job. Well, and it's not even him. Like, this is her normal mechanic, but it was whoever had been maintaining the plane had used, had done something wrong. They had, like, tur- turned a bolt wrong. Like, literally, it it's was so stupid like one, that. That one little bolt, like, some stripping of thread on one bolt, even in, like, the 1980s, yeah. can completely send a plane into a dive. Yes. Crash. Yes. And it's so sad. It killed them both. And she, she, the reason she fell from her cockpit is because she wasn't wearing her seatbelt because she wanted to, she was going to like look over the edge and kind of get a, get a lay of the land because she was going to do some parachute jumps from it in her next show. And like, you know, she was going to do, do her thing. And, and, and it, you know, unfortunately. She was so young. She was so young. She was so young. And she'd accomplished so much. And she had worked so fucking hard to buy this plane. And and it was literally just because she couldn't buy it when she put her down payment on it. And the fact that it sat in the field where, you know, it waited for her for a few years. Like, that's that's what did it. It's so it's so fucked. So about 10,000 mourners paid their respects to the first black woman aviator filing past her coffin in Chicago's South Side. Her funeral was attended by several prominent African-Americans and it was presided over by Ida B. Wells. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. Holy and, shit. Yeah. She, who obviously was an outspoken advocate of equal rights. Wow. So despite the massive turnout and the tributes paid to Coleman during the service, many black reporters agreed that the scope of Coleman's accomplishments had never been truly recognized during her lifetime. God damn it. An editorial in the Dallas Express stated, there is reason to believe that the general public did not completely sense the size of her contribution to the achievements of the race as such. Coleman would never... Establish a school for young black aviators. <laughs> We're both crying. And it's also beautiful because it, it gets, there are good things. Coleman would never establish a school for young black aviators, 
but her pioneering achievements served as an inspiration for a generation, excuse me, of African-American men and women. Quote, because of Bessie Coleman, wrote Lieutenant William A. Powell, who served in a segregated unit during World War I in his Black Wings memoir, which came out in 1934 um, and was dedicated to her. Um, he said, we have overcome that which was worse than racial barriers. We have overcome the barriers within ourselves and dared to dream. Powell tirelessly promoted the cause of black aviation um, through his book, his journals, and the Bessie Coleman Aero Club, the aviation school he founded in her name in 1929. God damn it. I can't do this episode anymore. So as a result of being affiliated, educated, or inspired directly or indirectly by the Aero Club, flyers like the Five Blackbirds, the Flying Hobos, the Tuskegee Airmen, <laughs> and others continued to make Bessie's dream a reality. Who, movies have been made about that. <laughs> Why hasn't there been a movie about her? I Why are know. we both sobbing? <laughs> This is the first. This is the first in our podcast that we're both just like crying openly. Ugh, <laughs> uh, fuck, dude. Because it's it's hard. It's hard to talk about somebody who wanted something so badly. Well, and it was like, it. She worked so hard. Not to to make a fucking metaphor out of it. To to, to get. <laughs> her dream to take flight and she got to the point where that was like her fucking that was the point that was the tipping point and then it was just cut short i know i kind of brutally <laughs> like you fuck you <laughs> i'm so sorry <laughs> that was how i felt when i was reading her story and i was like bessie coleman fuck yeah you're amazing i didn't know it ended that way when she was on my list i just knew that she was like the first black uh aviator yeah like first female yep and then uh, when i read that the first time i was just like oh my fucking god i was so i was overcome for all of the reasons that were overcome right now but then of course it was it wasn't just that it was reading that there was somebody who was so inspired by her that he made it his own mission to make her dream a reality so um that's bessie coleman first black aviator period shit should i do some on this day in history or am i yes 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 okay Tell All right. me, February 6th, right? Okay, yep, February 6th. Boom. 1778, France recognizes the United States of America, signs the Treaty of Alliance in Paris, which is the first U.S. treaty. 1778? Mm-hmm. Man, we signed the Declaration of Independence in 1776. Yeah, but Those Britain, bitches. Britain was like, you guys ain't a real country. Like, yeah, that's not real. Come on, England. Get so, it together. But France we was like France was like you guys are a real country. Of we course agree. they were. They helped us. That's right. 1788, Massachusetts becomes the sixth state to ratify the Constitution. How did it take that long? I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, 1820, the first organized emigration of of black people back to Africa. Wait, what year? 1820. So New York to Sierra Leone, which I included mainly because when we did our episode about the spies and how she spent some time in, I think it was Liberia. Yeah, it was Liberia. And so I was just very fascinated by that. But I thought it was interesting that today was one of the first organized um, mass immigration, mass immigrations of African-Americans. Yeah, back you took to, us away from where we're from. We're going to go back there. Bye. Uh -huh. Yep. And they went to Sierra Leone and then... Um, in that same year, the first 86 African-American immigrants sponsored by the American Colon Colonization Society, which I don't know what that is, they start a settlement, settlement in present-day Liberia. In 1836, the HMS Beagle and Charles Darwin uh -oh. arrive in Tasmania for, you know, Darwin things. There was, yeah, Darwin did a lot of shit. 1918... 
Great Britain grants women <laughs> age 30 and over the right to vote. 1918? 1918. Get with the program. New Zealand beat you real hard but on also, that But also, age 30 and over? That's weird. Okay. 1928, a woman dubbed Anna Anderson, possibly Francisca Schenkowska. Yep. Uh, okay. Oh. Arrives in New York City using the alias Anastasia Tchaikovsky and claims to be the Grand Duchess Anastasia. 1943, Frank Sinatra debuts on the radio. That late? Really? Yeah, 1943. Oh. It's his first it's his first song on the radio. It's your hit parade. Your hit parade? Yeah. Okay. All right. 1974, <laughs> and I included this because it's so fucking ironic. President Nixon Nixon what? has urged Congress to approve a comprehensive health insurance plan, national health insurance plan. 1974. Please explain my face right now. It's pretty shocked and confused and a little upset. <laughs> President Nixon. Okay. 1980. <laughs> I thought you would appreciate this one. Okay. Because true crime. John Wayne Gacy goes on trial for the murder of 33 young men in Cook County, Illinois. Um, last one. 2018. Elon Musk's uh, SpaceX yeah. launches Falcon Heavy, the world's most powerful rocket. Cool. Isn't that the one that had a car in it? I don't know. Probably. If it launched <laughs> and there was a car, it's probably <laughs> this one. This was last year, uh, yeah, February 6th. I think it's the one that had a car in it. And um, happy birthday, Ronald Reagan blah, and Bob Marley. God, there's a lot of really shitty presidents <laughs> having things going on I on this know. day. But Bob Marley, that's beautiful. Yay, Bob Marley. I love Bob Marley. I know. And that's and it. Tell me what you're excited about. I'm excited about it. A lot of things. <laughs> oh, narrow like, it down. No, uh, yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't figure out what I was excited about most. Captain Marvel. Yes, coming out next month. All right. Oh I, fuck, that's soon. March, man. Shit. All right. I'm so stoked. I saw that at Forbidden Planet. They already have Funko Pops of Captain Marvel. Of and course. And I want it so bad. Yeah. I'm so ready. I can't even deal with how excited I am about Carol Danvers. Speaking of pilots, it's super fucking appropriate. She's a goddamn U.S. Air Force pilot. U.S. Air Force pilot. Aha! That's right. And superhero. Yeah. Boom. Boom. Bessie. Carol. Mm, mm, mm. Done. Yeah. What am I excited about? Uh huh. We are approaching our one year mark of this podcast, oh my God. which is fucking wild to me. Shit. We have been making this podcast for a year. We were in meetings talking, like, with the two of us, just talking about, hey, do you want to do a podcast? (laughs) What do you want about the, like, what do you want from it? How do you want the format to be? And now it's a fucking reality, and we've been doing it for a year. I can't even believe that. And this podcast is, like, my happy place. It's so good. And I'm so grateful for it. Me too. And, like, this is the perfect episode for us to be, like, a sobbing fucking mess. <laughs> I know. Happy one-year anniversary. Happy one-year Wait. Should we? F- we? It's not maybe the exact date. I don't know. But, but hey. It, but it was February. Okay. And I know that for a fact. All and right. it's interesting because we didn't even, um, ironically, we weren't yet thinking about, like, what heritage month is it? Should we focus on this? That's like, true. And we both picked black women for our first two episodes in February. Yes. And we've had messages since then about how much that was appreciated. And uh, like. uh, And honestly, it was completely unintentional. Totally. That was like, we didn't even talk about it. But like Queenie was your first person you wanted to do. Yeah. Hazel Scott was the first person I wanted to do. Yeah. And it was weirdly the perfect time to do it. It absolutely was. I didn't even think about that. And they were the most wonderful women to start off this podcast. And I kind of want to go back and listen because I feel like. It must have been a. We must have sounded different. Oh different. yeah. I don't even know. We have to. We have to go e- examine. Oh yeah. But God. Oh, that's it's so been weird. a year, and this is one of the high points of my current life. And thank you. Yes. For that. Exactly. Say what you will about 2018. Our podcast rocked. It did for me. Me too. Fuck yeah! I, I love, love that. That's a thing that we're excited about <laughs> fairly often. Oh yeah, you know. But now it's our it's our one year anniversary or just about. Mm, I love you too. Thanks. 
<laughs> Thank you. And this fucking like almost 20 year friendship. It's like culminated. Because <laughs> what? Oh, God. When was it? It's, it's, not, it's not 20 years, but like. 15 ish. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Oh. No, it totally is. 15 years. I love it. Oh, my God. I feel like that's a good here happy note to here like, you know, kind of make our exit on. Yeah, man. For this week. If you were as moved by what we just uh, talked about as we apparently were, leave us a review, please. Please and thank you. And um, Join us on Instagram. Join yeah. us on Twitter. Join us on Facebook. Gmail. All GWBB podcast. Um, it's just, I don't even know how to express, like, the love we've gotten for this podcast is just it's phenomenal. It's so much like, more we're than still we anticipated. Small but mighty, but it's so it's way more than I ever thought when we first started. Yeah, like we have people who email us and contact us through social media that like we just we would not expect. Uh, we would not expect being it being like a podcast that has no um, like network yeah. to promote it on. Like we are the little guy podcast, and you guys are the best listeners and. You we're truly are. We're so happy. We appreciate it so much. We are so, so very lucky um, to have you and um, gosh. each other. Oh, my God. We oh appreciate no, I'm gonna you. I'm going to cry again. We got to go. All right. <laughs> we got to right. say bye. <laughs> Peace out, witches. Love you. Bye. Thank you for listening to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Thank you for listening. <laughs> you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Blueberry, and more. Basically anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Mm-hmm. If you like our podcast, it would be really helpful if you could please like and subscribe, rate and review, share with your friends on social media, word of mouth, mm-hmm. all of that. It's great. Yes. And you can find us on Twitter at GWBB Podcast. Instagram is the same. And we are on Facebook under Good Witches, Bad Bitches Podcast. And hey, guess what? If you want to hear all of our episodes, they are all up at our website, GWBBpodcast.com. If you have a story about a woman in your life that you want to share with us and that you want us to share on our podcast at some point, you can email us at GWBBpodcast at gmail.com. Hey, guys. You know what? If you like what you hear, maybe please consider a little bit of supporting us financially by visiting our tip jar. Um, The link is in the show notes. Every little bit helps. It just kind of makes it so that we can keep this going so that it has some longevity. So just think about it. See see how you feel about it. Or you can support this podcast directly by buying us a coffee on our (laughs) Ko-Fi. So that is ko-fi.com slash GWBB podcast. Um, Coffee start at $3 because that's generally the price of a fancy coffee and it just helps us keep the ship going. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is produced by Moon Bounce and powered by Pinecast. Boom, boom, boom. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for listening.